Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. With that, all right? Hey, um, if you have a copy of God's Word today, go ahead and get it out if you brought your Bible to church. If not, feel free to use your phone or your tablet, and uh, you can follow along in God's Word uh, with me today. We're going to hop around to a few different passages. We're going to be in three different parts, but we're going to start off in the book of James today, uh, James chapter 1. So you can uh, turn or scroll down to James chapter 1. Now, I want to say, man, last week, uh, man, we were so blessed uh, to have Wes. Wes is one of our elders uh, to bring the word to us last week. And uh, man, it's just, I loved it. I went back and listened to it. And Wes, you can still go to church here, man. That's awesome. And uh, no, for real though, he did a great job of just breaking down to us what the Bible is and how we can engage with the Bible. So if you're one of those, you're like, I'm not really sure where to start with reading the Bible, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to that message. He did a really great job breaking that down. And I want to encourage you guys to to go in and listen to that. Um, last week, I was in uh, North Carolina, and so it was really interesting, kind of the differences. It was, it was pretty rural North Carolina, uh, a church that is going to be sending a mission team to come partner with us, and they help support us financially as a church plant. And, uh, and so it was really interesting because when I was like, hey, if you guys brought a Bible to church, turn with me to the book of Matthew, it was cool because I, I literally heard them flipping in their Bibles. I was like, man, I've not heard that sound in so long. And, uh, and so it was, it was really cool, but uh, it's also good to be back in the land of the scrolling. So um, we're glad that you guys, glad that you guys are here. And uh, as we do that, we've been in this uh, sermon series called Grow With God. And the reason that we, we chose to do this and start our year off this way is because in the last two and a half years, as we've started this church, God has been really gracious to us. God has brought a lot of people to this church. Um, Some of you have been following Jesus for a really long time, and uh, maybe you grew up following Jesus, you know, and and got saved and have been following him, and it's been this long journey. And uh, the danger in that, though, is that sometimes you follow Jesus for so long, you plateau or you get stuck. And you're like, yeah, I, st- I haven't honestly grown with God in about 10 years. And that's really dangerous. We, we believe that everybody always has a next step. And, uh, and so we wanted to encourage you, if you're here and you've been following Jesus for a while, we wanted to encourage you in your relationship with God that maybe there's something you can pick back up or something else God has for you to not stop growing. But we also know God has brought people here who uh, are new to Jesus. And some of you who uh, haven't even truly made a decision to follow Jesus yet, but you're learning and you're, you're figuring that out and what that looks like. And so we knew that this was a moment and a time that we wanted to focus on what does it look like to now grow with God. Like, how do you grow in your relationship with God? So the first week, we talked about um, making a resolution and making a determination that you are going to grow with God. We looked at the life of Daniel and how Daniel made a decision that he was going to follow God before anything else happened. 
So then when he got into some, you know, sticky situations, his friends getting thrown into the fiery furnace, Daniel getting thrown into the lion's den, when he got in those situations, those were pretty easy because Daniel had, not easy, but they were easier because Daniel had already made a decision that he was going to follow God no matter what. He was going to grow with God. And last week, Wes talked to us about God's word and what it looked like to, to grow with God by reading his word. Um, and so, man, I hope you've been encouraged by that. But here's the one thing that's kind of come up to me. And we said this two weeks ago in the message. And so it's been both um, encouraging, but also like I, I've had a deep understanding for you. As uh, people have come up to me over the last couple of weeks, and I'll see you, and you'll just come up to me and go, growing is hard. And uh, we talked about that two weeks ago. It's kind of the theme that growing is hard. It's not an easy process. If you're growing something else or trying to get something else to grow, gardener, farmer, that's not an easy job or process. And when you are growing, it is not an easy process. Well, let me tell you something. I thought that I was going to be teaching this message about growing with God in this series about growing with God from a place of having already grown a little bit and, and was like, yeah, I've, I've been growing for a couple of years, and so now I'll have something to share with everybody. And, uh, and you preach a message about growing with God, and then you know what God does? He immediately gives you more opportunities to grow, is what he does. And, uh, and it's not super easy, but man, God gave me this passage, and um, we'll, we'll put the, uh, the verse up on the screen, James chapter 1. But I just wanted to start off by reading this passage to you because if you're going to grow with God, guys, it might be hard. Um, it is simple, but it's not easy. Growing with God can be really hard. And this past week, uh, God gave me a lot of opportunities in the last couple of weeks to grow in my relationship with him. And I think I still am. I, well, I know I still am, but, uh, but I think I was being faithful to that, and I think I'm still being faithful to that. But I just remember looking at him and going, God, this is hard. Like, you do know that, right? Like, I wasn't fibbing about it. Like, this is, this is hard, and this is what he gave me, James chapter 1, and I want to read verses 2 through 4. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. This is what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Hate that verse. Just kidding. Great verse. Love you, Lord. Love you, Lord. Verse 3, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to, everybody say grow. So, let it, everybody say grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, You'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, I want you guys to see and, and see that in James chapter 1, like, this is what we, this is what God tells us. Is he says, listen, um, when troubles come your way, you should actually take joy because that means you're growing. That means that the worst anybody could do to you is to take your life, and that's literally the best thing that anybody could ever do to you, because then you would be with Jesus. 
Like it's literally like God's got the whole thing rigged in for his glory and in your favor. Like th- this is all about him. And, and so uh, it may be hard and you go, but Brandon, how do I count it as a joy when hard things come? And, and the simple truth is you, you count it as a joy because you're going to grow from it. You're going to grow. You are not going to be the same person when you go through something hard that you were before you went through that. God is going to make you more and more like Jesus. Because that's the point, right? You don't want to be more and more like Brandon. You don't want to be more and more like whatever other Christian. You want to be more and more like Jesus. And how did Jesus become perfect and complete? By giving his life. And so sometimes we will go through sacrifice, we will go through hard times, but it will grow. And I just love verse 4 up there. It says, so let it grow. Let it grow. It's this idea of surrendering to it, of giving up to it, and saying, God, I'm not going to fight you on this one. It's hard. This is a challenge. This is a struggle, but I'm going to let it grow. I'm going to let you do your work in my life through this. I'm not going to grow bitter. I'm going to grow better. I'm going to be closer to you. And so growing is hard, but it is also glorious, and it is also beautiful, and church, it is also very worth it. Um, And so here's what I know. I know that from talking about making decisions to grow with God, to reading God's Word, I know there are some other areas that we can grow. Um, And so if you want to grow with God, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you want to grow with God, you've got to give Him control. If you want to grow with God, you've got to give Him control. Control over what? Well, I don't know. It's just so much easier for me to give him control over everything than to like make a spreadsheet of things he gets control over versus things he doesn't. Okay? And that's mainly because I'm not a spreadsheet guy. But it is honestly just easier to just give him control over everything. And so today, um, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus says that the greatest thing in our lives that has the potential to take over control of our hearts other than God, okay? The greatest competitor for your heart other than God is money. Money. That's that's hard to hear. That's hard to hear because even saying that word, here's what I know. Saying that word ever, but especially at church, there's some blood pressures that just went through the roof just now. There's some, a little bit of anxiety that goes on where it's like, oh, he just said the M word at church. I want you guys to check out this passage. Flip with me or scroll with me uh, to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And, uh, and what I want to do is I want to take it straight to the words of Jesus. I want you to hear the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 where he's going to tell us that if we want to grow with him, we got to give him full control of our lives, and that the greatest competitor for control in our hearts is money, okay? Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read uh, verses 21 and 24. I'm not going to read all the way through it, 
because I've got another passage I want us to go to. But listen, I don't like it when pastors do that, when they cherry pick certain verses, especially about money, because it can seem manipulative. So listen, this is just for sake of time, because I figured you people might want to like eat lunch at some point today. All right. So here's my encouragement to you. Please go read this passage. Go read the entire chapter. Search for it. Seek it. Know the word of God. All right. Um, but just for the sake of a little bit of brevity, I'm just going to read a couple of verses to you about this. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 21. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, treasure meaning money and materialism, there your heart will be also. All right, so, so check this out. Is what Jesus says. Jesus says, where your treasure is, now, some people try to boil this down and say, oh, he just means like the things that you treasure. And I don't treasure money. I, I treasure. Other. No, no, no. He's talking about money. Okay. And it's going to be clear in the next verse we're going to read. So Jesus says, where your money is, that's where your heart is. Now, back in the day, the Bible used the word heart to describe like the core and the center of our being. Okay, so he's not just talking about like, hey, where your money is, that's where that organ is, you know, that keeps your blood pumping. Like that, he's not talking about an organ. He's talking about like the center, the core of your life. So I want you to think about that for a second. Where you invest your money, where you spend your money, your thoughts and views on money show us where the core and the center of your life really is. That's terrifying. That's a little scary. Because if you went through my bank account, especially over Christmas, you'd be like, my Lord, I thought our pastor loved Jesus, but he loved Starbucks. Like, you know, like I thought his heart was with Jesus, but we went to find his heart and we found it with the mermaid at Starbucks. Like that's, that's where he was, you know, like, like we got to be careful. So I understand, like I get you, okay? It is a scary thing to think about. That's what Jesus says. Um, go down to verse 24 with me, Matthew 6, 24. Jesus must have been getting some odd looks, and so he just made it clear for us. So listen to Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Isn't that interesting? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Those are strong words. You cannot serve God and money. Wow. I mean, just in case we wanted to make that verse about how we spend our time, or just in case we wanted to make that verse about, you know, uh, something else abstract, Jesus lays it out for us and says, no, 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 I'm talking about you, I'm talking about your love for money. Um, now, here's a couple of things I want to say, because uh, as we dive in today, and I know you're like, as we, I think we dive in pretty well. Um, listen, I know a lot of times when people hear a pastor uh, preach on money, it's really easy to become a little skeptical, and I get that. Um, I know uh, this is it's a rule of thumb. It always happens. It happens every time um, that any time uh, as a pastor, I'm going to preach on this or bring this up in a message. We have more guests than we'll ever have. 
okay? So I get that. And you come, and some of you may be here, and you're like, yeah, this was my New Year's resolution. I was going to come back to church. haven't been to church in a year or two years or three years because all they talk about is money. So you showed up. You said, oh, that church looks good, and you showed up, and here we are talking about money. And you're like, man, that really is all they talk about is, is money. I promise it, it's not. But listen, this is important for us to talk about for a couple of reasons, okay? Number one is that Jesus said there is a direct connection between our view of money, our money, and our heart. So if we can't talk about money, then we can't talk about our hearts. And I realize it would be safer to just not do that. But if we can't talk about our hearts and be real and authentic, what are we doing here? Let's all just get real, all right? Um, Here's the second reason this is important for us to talk about is that Jesus talked about it a lot. In fact, did you know that Jesus taught on money more than any other topic in the Bible other than the kingdom of God? If you looked at his teaching schedule, okay, what did Jesus teach on this year? The number one topic would be the kingdom of God. The dude would not hush about the kingdom of God. It's just every time we turned around, Jesus, what do you want for dinner? The kingdom of God. You know, like he's just always about the kingdom of God. And then you'd look at number two and it's money. And you go, wow, why? Why? It's not like Jesus had a lot of money. The dude didn't even have a house. Jesus was, you know, like uh, doing his thing. Like, like Why? Because Jesus knew that if we can't talk about money, we can't talk about our hearts. And Jesus came for our hearts. If we're going to grow with God, he's got to have full control. He's got to have full control. And if he doesn't have control over our money and our finances and that part of our life, he's not going to have control over our hearts. And we're fooling ourselves. So, but listen, I get it. If you're here today... I get it. And I want to say this. There are a lot of pastors and a lot of churches who have taken this truth that Jesus did teach a lot on this, and this is good. They have taken it, and they have twisted it to manipulate and abuse. And make no mistake about it. And as a pastor, I want you to know and hear me say, that terrifies me. Because I'm not perfect. And I, would, I, I don't want to ever get up and open up this word. This word is holy. I don't want to ever open up this word and use it to, to manipulate or to abuse anyone. Okay, So that's the way you can pray for me. You can always pray that I will be a, a teacher of the word of God okay? and not of myself. But I also want to encourage you that, man, those pastors and those churches, they're going to receive God's judgment. God does not enjoy his sheep being led astray by false teachers and people who are using and abusing church members to get their own way, okay? And so I just want you to know, like, that we work really hard in this church to not do that, to be transparent about that. But if that's you and you have been a part of a church where you have seen abuse in that in the financial area, or I mean, I know pastors who are friends of mine who are literally in jail right now or were in jail because they abused finances in their church. Like, I understand that it happens, and I've been affected. I just want you to hear me say, I'm really sorry that that happened. And I understand your hesitancy, all right, when this comes up. So I'm not trying to trigger anybody into this. I just want you to know that I do hear you, I do see you, I do know that that exists. So let's, let's try to just go to the Word of God today 
and just see what God's Word says um, instead, of, instead of any of that. And, and on behalf of pastors, um, I, I want to tell you that I'm sorry if that happened to you, um, that, that that was not right and sinful. Okay? God does not give pastors and churches full authority to do whatever they want to with everybody's money. Okay, That's not true. But for us here at Impact Church, we're a new church, and we get a unique opportunity to get this right according to God's word and not according to our preferences or traditions or the way it's always been done. So at Impact Church, money is not a taboo subject for us. It's not a taboo subject for us because it was not a taboo subject for Jesus. And where the word of God speaks, the church has to speak. And, and where Jesus speaks, we have, to, we have to speak as his followers. And so that's why it cannot be a taboo subject for us. We'll always try to speak about it with grace and freedom and biblically, um, not with secrets and manipulation. But I also want to say that money is not just not a taboo subject for us, but it's a gospel issue for us. It truly is. Because Jesus says, where your money is, your heart is. And Jesus came for our hearts. He gave his life, died on a cross to make our hearts new, to take away our love for money, to take away our greed, to take away our desires to manipulate and abuse. Jesus died to free us and cleanse us from those sinful attitudes and actions that we have. And so this truly is a gospel issue for us. And in fact, I would say that it's really not even about money to us. This is about generosity because money is a financial institute. Generosity is a heart posture. And so I think the word generosity best fits into what we're trying to talk about today. So you may hear me say that. I'm not trying to trick anyone or skirt the issues, but I want you to hear that. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Where your heart is, that's where you grow. Where your heart is, that's where you grow. And, and it's really simple, right? Because if your heart is with your money, then that's where you're going to grow. You're going to grow roots down into money, and that's where the fear of money, the anxiety of money, like all the emotions of finances and money can come from, is when we camped out and our heart was in our money, and, and we grew roots there. And that's where we began to grow. It's not just money. It's materialism. Guys, we live in the wealthiest country in the world. And we live in one of the wealthiest counties in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And you may look around and say, oh, Pastor Brandon, I'm, I'm going to have to take a hard disagreement there because don't you know we still have unhoused people? Don't you know we still have poverty? Don't you know that, Pastor Brandon, like I, I actually just checked my bank account just now and I've, I've got $5.42 in it. Like I wouldn't really call that a really great, you know, I don't think we have a lot of money, but listen. If you woke up today and you had access to, not just had, but had access to, could find running water, I didn't say hot water, although that was really nice today, but running water, a book to read, okay, and, and some sort of food that you could eat. If you woke up today and had access to those three things, you woke up among the top 2% wealthiest people in the world. See, guys, one of the things that makes us such wealthy people, even though we may not feel like it, is that we have access to all of those things. You can go to a library 
and become educated. Okay? You, can, you can find shelters who are, or churches or people who will feed you. And you can find shelters and places that have running water that will allow you to have something to drink or take a shower. Guys, that makes you among the wealthiest top 2% of people in the world. Where your heart is, that's where you'll grow. And so what happens is maybe money's not your thing, but materialism is your thing. You're like, I don't really care about money because money for some of us is just a means to an end. Money's just a means so we can have the type of cars we want. It's not really about money, it's about the car. It's not really about the car, it's about the house. It's not really about the house, it's about the clothes we wear. It's not really about the clothes, da, 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 da. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm just here to let you know that where your heart is, that's where you'll grow. And if your heart is found in material things, materialism, things of this earth, then guys, that's where the roots of your heart are going to begin to grow. And you don't want that. You want the roots of your heart to grow in a relationship with God. That's what you want. And the only way to do that is to let Jesus have full control over your heart. And the best way to do that is to give him full control over your money, your finances, and your resources. Um, I was uh, just looking at this passage in Matthew. Jesus is like really blunt, right? Like he uses the phrase... um, (laughs) In verse 24, you guys can go back to that verse and look with me. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. That's crazy because sometimes I think I got a shot at it, right? Like sometimes I'm like, I know Jesus said nobody, but I'm pretty good. Like I could, I could do this. I can serve Jesus and dabble in some of this materialism over here. Guys, the truth is I can't and neither can you. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. Like, you are playing a very dangerous game to think that you can follow Jesus and give him full control of your life and wrap yourself up in money and materialism at the same time. Jesus says no one can do it. He even uses words like the word hate. Isn't that crazy? Because I always grew up getting uh, spanking for that. Like, I always grew up getting in trouble. for Now, don't go calling, you know, my, I'm, I'm a grown man, okay? It's fine. But I always grew up getting in trouble. You know what I was told? Because I grew up in a good Christian household. I was told, you, don't, you can't say you hate anyone or anything, which is crazy because it was just the word hate. They didn't like the word hate. Well, isn't that interesting that Jesus uses the word hate? And here's what he says. He says, you can't serve two masters because you'll hate one and love the other. Isn't that crazy that he doesn't say you can love God and mess around with money? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you can love God and, and really strongly dislike money. Because that was our way around the word hate, right? Okay, mom, I don't hate him. I just strongly dislike him, you know. And, uh, and so, but Jesus says you can't even get away with that. Jesus says you, you will love one and you will hate the other. This is strong, but I want you to hang in here with me. What that means is, If you are in love with money, materialism, climbing the corporate ladder so that you can have all of the wealth and status, if you are in love with that, we have hatred towards the ways of God. I know that's strong, but what that's meant is not to make you feel guilty, but to break our hearts. 
to make us go, oh my gosh, I, yes, I chose that over him. Like, this is not glorious. This is going to be gone. Like, this is all going to fade away. This isn't glorious. It's just a little comfortable sometimes. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is risen. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is miraculous. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is, is, is all-knowing. Jesus is everywhere. Like, Jesus is who I want to love. So it's not meant as a guilt trip from Jesus. It's meant to say, repent and come love me. Find your love, your devotion, your dedication in Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus has more power and more resources to take care of you than any amount of money or material possessions in this world does. If you want to grow closer to God, you're going to have to love him more than you love money. So what does that look like? A few things. You can write these things down. Number one, if you want to love God more than your money, then number one, you got to trust God to provide. That means sometimes God's going to put you in positions where you are trusting in him to provide for you, not your job to provide for you. Or you're trusting in him to provide for you, not yourself to provide for you. Now, I'm not saying be lazy. I'm saying work as hard as it depends on you, but then you reach the end of that because you're not all powerful. So you reach an end, then you depend and trust on God for what happens next. Man, some of us are trusting so much in ourselves that we, are, we think it's all on us to provide for our families, to provide for children, to provide for ourselves, to live the lifestyle that we want to live. And because really, like, we could do more, but we need a house that's this big, or we need cars that look like this, or we need to live these certain lifestyles, and we do these things. And there's no trust in God. Like, I want you to look, when's the last time that you really were like, man, I feel like, God, I had to trust you for this. You called me to do something, and I didn't have the resources to do it, and I had to trust God to do it. When is the last time any of us have done that? When is the last time any of us have lived that way? Well, guys, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Uh, number two, write this down. If you want to grow closer to God and love him more than money, you got to live generously. you got to live generously. That means trusting God. <laughs> That means that you live in a way that you go, this is God's money, not mine. And if he said, give it to this person or do this with it or do that with it, then that's what I do because it's his. And I'm like a manager managing all of his resources in what he wants to do. And number three, if you want to trust God with your finances, you got to do this. Let God make decisions. Let God make decisions. What I mean by that is we don't let our money make decisions. See, so many of us will try to determine where we should live, what we should do, how we should act, uh, how many children we should have, what kind of jobs we should have. Like, we let whatever's in our bank account dictate some of the most major decisions in our lives. But what would it look like to let God guide your decisions instead of your money? If God is calling me to go do this, because here's the deal. When we started this church, you know how much money we had in our bank account? Anybody want to guess? It's a trick question. We didn't have a bank account. 
okay? It's a trick question. Like the fact is, when we started this church and God said start it, there was no bank account. There was no money to be had to put into a bank account, okay? But God said to do it. So you know what, what logically would have made sense? Go out, get enough money, whatever that means, and then once you have enough money, then start the church. And you probably open up a bank account at some point, too, okay? But that's not what we did. You know what we did? God said plant a church, so we started a church. And as we started that church, God was faithful to provide the resources, the finances that we needed to do the work that he had called us to. Well, guys, it works just like that in your life, too. When God has called you to do something, most of the time he's waiting for you to say yes before he starts providing. But we are conditioned to want to wait for him to provide before we say yes. Guys, there's no trust in that. Hebrews 10 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you know what we do? We say yes first. We tell God yes. We walk in obedience first. We let God guide where we go, not our money. And then we trust that where God guides, God provides. You like that, don't you? That's good. I have it tattooed. Very good. All right, one more passage I want to read to you. Thank you for laughing at that. Turn with me to one more passage in the Old Testament. Turn with me to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Now this is a really interesting passage because this is how God chooses to end the Old Testament. So, you know, God gave us the Old Testament. He's got one more prophet he's going to speak through before hundreds of years of silence before Jesus busts out on the scene. So it's kind of like, okay, Jesus or God, you have one more prophet. You got one more message for us before you go silent on us for a little bit. What do you want to say to us? Now, the book of Malachi is amazing, so I'd encourage you, go home and read it. If you're like, I don't know what to read this week, go read Malachi. It's a, it's a really great book, and you can learn what that message was that God wanted to tell us before he went silent, before sending Jesus, okay? But I want to read to you just, again, one verse, one passage of what he says. Malachi chapter 3, and I want to read verse 10. Malachi chapter 3, scroll there, turn there. Verse 10. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, let's do this. God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We grow with God by giving 10%. We grow with God by giving 10%. Now, I want to unpack that for a second. We grow with God by giving 10%. Now, <clears throat> some people who have grown up in church, they really don't like this verse, okay? The reason they don't like it is because it's been abused, and it's basically been used to say, give us all of your money, and God will bless you for it. So you give us $50,000, God will give you a $100,000 car when you leave, okay? That's we call that prosperity gospel. That's a false gospel. That's not true. That's not what the Bible is doing. If you are currently sending checks to people who are opening up orphanages in Africa and need you to send them gift cards all the time, if you're currently sending checks to any preacher on television, um, just, you just stop for a moment and, uh, and maybe come talk to the elders. Let's figure out, make sure that's a wise investment, all right? 
Here's what he is saying, though. This isn't being used to trick or manipulate anyone. This is what God says. He says your finances are either going to be blessed or cursed. He says, I will bless you if you do this, but I will curse you if you don't do that. And so our finances are going to be either blessed or cursed. And so the reason I say that if we want to grow with God, we, we can start by giving 10%. Um, that 10% is really not even biblical, to be honest with you. The, the real tithe at this time was probably around 24.5%. And so it always tricks me out when a lot of people are like, that's oh, Old Testament, I don't have to give 10% anymore. You know, I'm like, yeah, well, we'll get to the New Testament in a second. They, they gave everything. So you're actually getting a much better deal only giving 10%. Um, and then there's other people who are like, no, that's in the Bible. I want to be just like the Bible. And the Bible says give 10%. If you want to be just like the Bible, you should actually be giving like 24.5%. Which we would gladly do take that as well. So you can do that. Okay. Here, here's my point. My point is that a tithe, the way we understand it in this day and age, is that you would give 10% of your gross income. So what you receive, 10% of that goes to God. And so many people are like, they scoff at that and they go, 10%? How would I pay rent? How would I do this? How would I do that? The way I look at it is God lets me keep 90% of his money. That's amazing. Like, I don't let my kids do that. I don't let them keep 90% of anything that they get. Like, that's amazing. Yet God does that for his kids. Is he gives you money and he lets you keep 90% of it. And then he said, I want you to take 10% of that out of obedience and faith to me to trust me and see if I will not use that to expand and build my kingdom on this earth. That's what God does. And you know the reason why? God says, because I want there to be food in my house. Now, back then, the tithe wasn't money. It was material things, because that was their equivalent of money. It was food. It was uh, animals. It was clothing. It was things like that. So God says, I want my house to be full. That does not mean full of material possessions. That does not mean give your tithe, because we need new TV screens. Give your tithe, because our smoke machine broke. Give your tithes because we need a bigger building. All right, that is not what there be food in my house means. What it means is, is God says, I want my business and the business of my kingdom to be provided for and to be taken care of. And guys, that's, that's we get to do that. It's not a chore for us. It's not a job for us. It is an opportunity for us. We get to be a part of what God is doing all over the world by just giving 10% and then watching how God multiplies that 10% to reach the planet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get to be a part of that. That is amazing. Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, the only thing that's going to matter 10,000 years from now is the church of Jesus Christ. That's it. 10 billion years from now, nobody's going to care about, about any other organization. No one's going to care about any other charity in the world. You know the only thing that's still going to be here 10 billion years from now? Jesus and his followers. That's what we mean by the church. I don't mean an institution. I mean the people. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. I want to read one more passage for you. though. You guys got one more verse in you? All right, let's read one more. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And I want, you to, I want you to write this down. It's our last note for the day. We grow with God by living out the gospel. We grow with God by living out the gospel. 
And I want you to see how we have an opportunity to do that here in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. So a lot of people look at Malachi and they say, Brandon, that's Old Testament. I don't know about that. Well, let me tell you what happened between that. One of the last things God tells us before he goes silent is make sure my house is full. Make sure my kingdom is provided for. Quit robbing me. Give me what belongs to me. He goes silent. You know the next thing he does? He sends Jesus. And Jesus comes. Jesus didn't tithe nothing. He gave it all. Aren't you glad Jesus did not give only 10% of his blood to forgive only 10% of your sins? Jesus gave everything. And then, after he forgave your sins and gave everything, he rose from the dead and he looked at his followers and said, now you, go build my kingdom. I'm giving you the keys. Go make disciples of all nations. You get to go do this now. And I bet the disciples were like, ah, I don't know, what are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. Listen, after Jesus went back to heaven, listen to what the first church did. They didn't have this. They just sat around and said, what did the Holy Spirit mean? What did God mean when he said to go build his kingdom? Listen to what they did. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was their own. But they had everything in common. Now that doesn't mean that they all got along and sang kumbaya, they were all Republicans, or they were all Democrats, or they were all, you know, uh, the same age. It means all their possessions, all their money, they shared together. It was all for one another. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. How did the apostles use the resources and money of the church? They preached the gospel with it. They talked about the resurrection power of Jesus with it. So if you're investing in something that is not preaching the resurrection power of Jesus, that is a poor investment. It's like a good investment for 20 years, a very bad investment 20 billion years from now. Only the resurrection power of Jesus will withstand. Look, he keeps going, verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. How many of you would like to live in a city like that? For as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them. Sold them. And they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they brought it to the church. And they laid it down at the apostles' feet, and then it was just distributed. The apostles just made it rain on everybody who had a need in the city. Man, how many of you would love to be a part of a church like that? Some of you are like, yeah, I just don't want to sell anything. But yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Guys, we grow with God by living out this gospel. This isn't about the check you cut on Sundays. This isn't about you giving more of your money to start more programs at Impact Church. This is about you supporting the kingdom of God, building his kingdom on this earth so the resurrection of power of Jesus can reach the campus of Mary Washington so that it can reach the campus of Germana, so that it can reach refugees in Greece and refugees in our own city, so that it can continue to tell children that are right behind us right now the glorious gospel and the riches of his grace. Like this is why we give to the kingdom. 10% seems so small, and so I'm not limiting you to that. What I'm telling you is let's right now make a decision 
not to give 10%, but to give our whole heart, our whole life, to give full control over to Jesus that we might grow in our relationship with God. Would you guys pray with me? Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.